0: Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. This is why we have church. I am excited about Jesus. How many feel the presence of God in this place? If you have your Bibles in this day of technology, turn to James chapter 2. Yeah, God forbid. I want to do a little quiz. How many have physical Bibles? Raise your hand. Physical Bibles. Oh, come on, Holy Ghost. How many have like tablets with their Bibles? Tablets and. How many don't care what I say? Okay, (laughs) then I just preach, man, all right? James chapter 2, I am excited about this morning's message. I wish there were more people coming from vacation to hear this because this message is going to set people free. By the way, a couple things before we pray and before we release the word is number one, just kind of bear with us with our AC. Uh, Again, I told you guys, but there's many visitors. Uh, We don't control the AC here. Uh, uh, Downtown OCPS, uh, Orange County Public School Systems, uh, they control it and we found out that they can't lower it below 74 degrees. So, uh, we, we put in a request for them to put the AC at 7 a.m. so it could get a little cooler in here. So, uh, but we're hopefully going to make a request, Donnie, to see if we could lower it below 74 degrees. And we have to, unfortunately, OCPS, I love them, but they charge for everything. Like they charge for a r- projector, they charge for everything. And so, um, we're in works of praying to get a location. So, being prayed for that, amen, uh, that God will give us a location that we don't have to set up and tear down. I know these are the glorious struggles of our early church, and we do it with delight. Uh, but we are praying for that, uh, and um, so let's, let's pray for that. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I thank you for your anointing, for your presence that changes lives. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing, deliverance, setting people free from highlighting your many beautiful attributes, the attributes of Jesus. We thank you, Father, today that you would anoint your word and you will cause our spirit to be alive. In Jesus' name, and one more prayer, help us to lose all that weight, Lord, from Mother. thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I ate so much that I, I didn't eat breakfast t- until, uh, I didn't eat until like 2 p.m. the next day. You got that Spanish food, you know, black beans, white rice, oh, hallelujah. I know. I feel the presence of God right there. (laughs) So James chapter 2. This is beautiful. So listen, I don't make any apologies about getting excited uh, for Jesus. Uh, You know, the devil has a problem. I'm Spanish, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, so that's a problem for the devil. So I'm not going to be apologetic for being passionate, for being excited. Why? Because the truth of God's words is alive and powerful, and it will set us free. You may not like the passion, but you will like the results. I guarantee you. So, James chapter two. I'm going to talk about the beautiful now, and I need you to buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to get deep with you today. The beautiful nature of the mercy of Jesus. Oh man! Some of you may know this, but I wrote a book that's been on the shelf because of the church launch. The Lord interrupted the whole book launching thing for the church launch. That's His plan, not mine. But I wrote a book. Two years ago, and it was 14 years in the making, and I finally wrote it about four, two years ago. It didn't take me 14 years to write the book. It just been. It was prophesied to me by many people that I need to write a book, and then finally in 2014, I started. I finished at the end of 2015, and it's 12 chapters. All of them are an in inner healing that sets people free. Everywhere I go and preach these messages, the power of deliverance comes. Let me tell you something. There's too many bound Christians in the body of Christ And it's not because the Lord's power is short. It's because there's lack of revelation. So this, what I'm going to share today, I've expounded on it, but this is part of my book. This is one of the chapters of my book. So you guys get ready to eat very well spiritually in Jesus' name. James chapter 2, look at verse 12. Man, I'm excited this morning. Are you guys excited? Look at at verse uh, 12. I did a mistype there, uh, so it's verse 12, Zach. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. If you're there, say amen. So speak, now this is the, this is James, and I want to explain something that I haven't shared before. Some of you have been in my classes at OHA before I share on this, but I want to share some new things today. So speak <coughs> and do so as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Watch this, guys. For judgment is without mercy... To the one who has shown no mercy. I'm going to say that again. Judgment is without mercy. That means there's no mercy to those who do not show mercy. He says judgment is without mercy to to those who show no mercy. Then he says this. James says this. For mercy triumphs over judgment. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Say mercy Mercy. triumphs Triumphs. over judgment. 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 Say that one more time. Mercy Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. In my many years of pastoring, I have come to the conclusion that many people do not know the surpassing nature of mercy. Why? Because in my many years of being a pastor, I make this conclusion based on how many people I currently see in the body of Christ and even outside of the body of Christ that struggle constantly with shame, with condemnation, with guilt. And with self-hatred because of the mistakes of their past. They got quiet up in here. The reason I make the conclusion that people don't know the beautiful nature of Jesus' mercy is because I look at people, and most people, if they had a revelation of truly the mercy of God, biblically, they will not struggle with the condemnation, the shame. The, the guilt, the self-hatred, especially after you've messed up. Especially after you've messed up. Because a lack of revelation of the mercy of God is an identity crisis. It's an identity issue because it will affect how you view yourself. Come on, I'm preaching good this morning. It will affect how you view yourself and it will affect how you view God. The lack of understanding of God's mercy will be either perverted this way or that way. Some people have a perverted mindset of mercy, and they just think that that's a license to sin. Well, it's the mercy of God. God's going to forgive me, so it doesn't matter. Let's just keep delaying my my lifestyle and, and, and do that. And then on the other hand, so many people, they don't have that revelation, so they live in guilt for most of their lives. Many people in this room, you have some sort of guilt. You have some, you're living with some sort of condemnation for some of the things that have happened in your life. Now, this is something new that I have not taught before. This is beautiful. I want you to hear this. The writer of, this, of the book is historically known as James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the disciple of Jesus. Hear me now. Most historians and theologians say that the book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus, by affiliation of Mary and Joseph. We know that Jesus didn't have a brother in heaven. We know that. Okay, I'm not preaching this weird doctrine here. But what I'm saying is if you do historical study and theological study, the person who wrote Mercy, Triumphs Over Judgment, the book of James, was not, according to popular uh, uh, standards, was not James the disciple the son of Zebedee. It was James, the son of Mary and Joseph. Ooh, that's so good. Why is that significant? Because if anybody saw Jesus on a day-to-day basis outside of ministry, in their home, playing playing rocks, I don't know what they played back then. <laughs> playing things, if anybody saw Jesus at a close range without the filter of only ministry and saw the the the... the The family life, the childhood life, the school life, more intimately than anybody else, even more so than the disciples, was one of his family members. And James concluded, seeing Jesus, his brother by by natural uh, standings, out of everything he could have said about, about Jesus, he looked at the character and the nature of Jesus and resoundingly concluded that the way that he acts towards people made him say, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is an amazing factor because James lived with Jesus when he was 12, when he was 9, when he was 20, when he was 29, when he was 30. James was a family member by legal right, and he could have said anything about Jesus. And what he saw the most was this. He said a lot of things in James, but he, he was highlighting the nature of Jesus. Oh, this is so good. This is going to bring healing to so many people in this room today. You know why? Because we've got to understand mercy in order for us to get set free. Do you know, I've said this before, but there's a lot of uh, new congregation to RCC, so I'm going to say it again. There's a difference between being delivered and being set free. Because deliverance is a temporary precursor to set you up for freedom. But deliverance is not the final thing. I know that, that's blowing some of your, my, your boats up. But deliverance is a temporary removal of oppression. Temporary. Freedom is the permanent removal of oppression. Jesus didn't say who the Son delivers is delivered indeed. He said whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Can I hear an amen? Why do I say this? Because a revelation of mercy is absolutely going to set you free if you let it be dive deep in your heart. There's one thing to know about mercy in here, and there's another thing to know about mercy in here, truly in your spirit. Why? Because a lot of people, now this is good stuff now, a lot of people confuse grace and mercy together. So let me help you out for a second, okay? Grace and mercy are similar, but they're different, and they're so powerful, but they're so different. L- look at me. Grace is, and it's, uh, uh, it should be up on the screen, the, the God's grace is giving you something that you don't deserve. God's mercy is not giving you something that you do deserve. I'm going to break that down. God's grace is giving you something that you don't deserve. What, What do I mean by that? You, we don't deserve salvation, but God's grace gave it to us. None of us in here could say, you know what, I am so perfect that I don't need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I'm gonna walk up, up to the curly, pearly gates and I'm gonna say, Let me in. No one could say that. It was by his blood that the grace of God forgave us and, and sent Jesus to the cross so that we could be forgiven. So God's grace gives you what, what listen, gives us what we don't deserve. But God's mercy, hear me, church, does not give us what we do deserve, and it's usually bad. The things that we usually deserve are judgment or things that should have happened. See, the mercy of God is the restraining power of God that says, you should have been in jail, but mercy didn't give it to you. You you should have had that sickness due to your lifestyle in the past, but mercy didn't give it to you. You should have been locked up because you broke the law and you were rebellious when you were a teenage and no one caught you. And you thought that was just coincidence. No, mercy said, I'm not giving it to you yet. Why? Because mercy buys you enough time to turn your heart completely to God. The nature of mercy is a restrainer that stops judgment and consequences for just enough time for you to turn your heart completely to God the mercy of Jesus is this I recognize that you messed up but you're not going to have any consequences yet yet but I want you to see that it's wrong but mercy holds back the wrath or the consequences enough time for our hearts to desire to want to live right come on church God's grace is giving you something that you don't deserve how many of us deserve salvation none of us but how many of us deserve certain things that we knew we should have got away from? Some of you, you have a, I'm going to say it this way, God forgave you, but you have a tainted past. And there should be in the natural certain ramifications that you didn't get. That's mercy. Oh, this is good. Mercy is an incredible attribute because God's grace is giving you something you don't deserve. God's mercy is not giving. It's like this. You go 80 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, and the cop pulls you over, and you're like, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. You, you deserve a ticket. I mean, you can pray all you want. You're like, you broke the law. I do that all the time, not, not, not speed to break the law. But when, I, when I've gotten pulled over, I'm always praying, like, God, give me mercy, 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 mercy. But at the end of the day, I just broke the law. I mean, it, I deserve a ticket. I deserve it. And the you know, cop comes in there the and how you doing, son? Do you know? How? He always says that. Do you know how fast you were going? Uh, no, I don't. Mercy says you were supposed to get a ticket, and something moved in his heart to not give it to you. I'm going to give you a warning. That may sound childish. That may sound a little temporary, but this is how mercy is. Mercy is withholding what you deserve. Oh. And it's a beautiful attribute of Jesus that James saw, and it will set you free from condemnation and shame. It was oh, the God, I'm getting excited here because some of you guys are not getting this. You've been bound by shame. You've been bound by condemnation, and you can't see mercy. You're always beating yourself up in the head over your mistakes. Yes, you need to own up to your mistakes, but there's something different when you let those mistakes rule you. Do you understand That there's hope because there's mercy? If there was no mercy, there's no hope. There's mercy. Jesus said, if you want mercy, be merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful for they shall obtain mercy. I don't know about you, but I need mercy. You know why I'm more merciful now to people? Because I need mercy. It got quiet up in here. But I'm smiling at you. There was a famous... Story of, of the nature of mercy that doesn't give you what you deserve. is In a, in a person in the 1800s, he's a, a famous agnostic, famous uh, atheist. His name is Robert Ingersoll. Those of you guys know, do some history, you know uh, who I'm talking about. He was a notorious atheist, a notorious agnostic. Wrote a book on agnosticism in the 1800s. And basically, his whole life was driven to try to prove God doesn't exist. That's how angry he was at God. So he would have these large lectures of, with people to t- let them know how, how bad uh, God is and how God d- didn't exist, and he would have large gatherings. So well, one time in the 1800s, he called a large gathering of, of, of people into an auditorium and a town hall meeting, and as he was... In the town hall meeting, he got packed to capacity. And, of course, in the 1800s, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have digital stuff. They didn't have a Facebook or Snapchat. So they just came because they wanted to hear this guy. Now, in the midst, there was a lot of atheists in that room. But there was also some Christians that wanted to hear what he was saying. So he got up there, and as he's blaspheming in the name of the Lord, he gets up there and says, I am going to prove that God does not exist. Challenging him by challenging him. To strike me dead in five minutes, so I could give him a chance to prove that he is God by telling him to strike me dead in five minutes. So if I'm still alive after five minutes, you will know that God doesn't exist. And of course, back in those days, everyone, <gasps> you know, old ladies were fainting. <laughs> and so he started the clock. Boom, five minutes. He got out very defiantly and says, If God exists, I'm challenging him to strike me dead. That's a pretty, that's a pretty dare, right? Five minutes starts counting down. Four minutes starts counting down. Three minutes starts counting down. All of a sudden, the congregation in that time in the 1800s were sweating. They, they couldn't believe how a man could speak about God like this. Two minutes were counting. He was still just defiant, standing up there. Some Christians were like, I hope they gets, you know, the lightning's about to strike <clears> him. <throat> a minute later, a minute before, still standing. 30 seconds later, still standing. 10. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Nothing happened. He was very much alive. He was very much in tune. And he was very much. Still healthy. He comes up to the podium and he said, "See, I just gave God five minutes to kill me to prove that He doesn't exist, and I'm very much alive. You see that it's just a myth. It's just a fairy tale. God is just your best friend, your imaginary friend. He doesn't exist." He closed the meeting, and every and everyone was confused. All the atheists were high fiving each other. They were all laughing as they were exiting the the uh, auditorium. There were a couple Christians. There was a cup, and there was a couple old. Um, prayer grandmothers. Thank God for Holy Spirit praying grandmothers. And this one grandmother was at the end as they were leaving, they're all smiling, they're all mocking the Christians, and one of the ladies, filled with the Holy Spirit, started smiling from ear to ear, and she was looking at them, smiling, and she's like, ha, ha. Ingersoll, Robert Ingersoll proved something today. And she, she goes, she, he sure did. He sure did something. And The atheist started getting upset. Like, what are you smiling at? He just proved that God doesn't exist by challenging him to, to kill him. And he, didn't, and he didn't kill him. And the Christian lady goes, oh, he sure proved something, all right. What did he prove? He proved that not even the most defiant sinner can exhaust the mercy of God in only five minutes. Are you kidding? God's mercy doesn't have a time limit. Oh, let that sink in. You, you, some of you have been running from God, and it's been 10 years, and you think, well, you know, he has a time limit. Now, there are some times if you don't repent, the consequences for your actions will come. That's called judgment. But mercy comes before judgment. Listen, if you've ever experienced judgment, it's because you haven't recognized mercy knocking at your door every year. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Do you realize in my opinion, the greatest example, my in my opinion, I'm entitled to my opinion, the greatest example in the whole entire Bible of mercy, which is not giving you something you do deserve, is found in John chapter 8. Let's look at there. Let's look at that. John chapter 8. The in my opinion, the greatest example, are you getting something this morning? The greatest example of mercy being distributed to someone that didn't deserve it. Mercy is extended to those who don't deserve it. Look at John chapter 8, very famous uh, scripture, very famous scripture, but I want you to read it as if you were reading it for the first time, all right? Let's have a Bible study this morning about the mercy of God, amen? Now, I want you to see this. You've read it a million times, but I want you to see it in the context of mercy withholding something that you deserve and not giving it to you. How many thank God that you should have got something bad because of your consequences and you didn't get it? What does that do inside of you? Think about it. Don't answer me. What does mercy do when you realize you have been a recipient of mercy? It makes you want to live for God. It's a mystery. I don't fully understand it. But when you're a recipient of mercy, it's something that happens in your life. Thank you, my brother. Look at what chapter 8 verse 2 says. Now early in the morning Jesus came into the temple. <clears throat> now this is graphic, but this is this is important. And all the people came to Jesus and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in what? Caught in what? Now we're all adults in here. Read that slow. They caught her in the very act of adultery. Just Use your, main, your, your mind. That was a pretty intense scene, very embarrassing scene, okay? Caught her in the very act of adultery, and they had set her in the midst. These are all these religious leaders at that time that are trying to trap Jesus. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. That means she was, literally broke the law. She literally was sleeping with someone that was not her husband. In the very act, now, Moses in the law commands such a person that they should be stoned. What do you say? Now, back in those days, back in those cultures, there was laws that were set for holiness because Jesus had not died yet on the cross. So they had to have some sort of laws to prevent people from doing things. Back in those days, as graphic as it is, one of the laws was if you were caught in adultery, you would get stoned. I know that's heavy. Now, look. That's why Jesus came and there's a new covenant of grace and mercy, right? Now look, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that you should, they should be stoned. What do you say? They said this testing him. Oh, glory to God. To see that they might have something in which to accuse him. It was not even about the girl at this moment. They caught the girl in, in adultery, but they brought him to Jesus to see if they could find something against Jesus. Okay, now, so when they continued, so, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground, to this day, no one knows what he wrote, with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, imagine, everyone's, you have this broken woman coming, embarrassed, probably half naked, uh, we, we don't know. She's dragged out of the place with a whole bunch of mar- uh, people on the outside, she's literally covered in shame covered in guilt, covered in her sin. Jesus comes down, and he hears this, and he acts like he didn't hear, then he starts scribbling something on the floor. Now watch. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, and he said, He who has no sin among you, cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down. And wrote on the ground, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. I have this picture in my head that all these religious leaders, all these self-righteous religious leaders were ready to stone this person for committing adultery. She legitimately committed adultery. And Jesus said, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And I can imagine, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but the priest and those who were religious leaders were saying, I just committed fornication last night. Drop. I just lied and cheated on my taxes. Drop. I just lusted and saw something that I couldn't see. Drop. I just spoke evil about this person. Drop. And their conscience was convicting them one by one because they realized that they, too, were sinners. And they dropped the rock one by one. Now, watch. This is a golden moment here. This is going to heal you. Oh, this is so good. When Jesus... Uh, This is powerful. Being convicted by the conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine Jesus who never sinned? And it was just everyone left. And it's this woman who got caught in adultery and the blameless one of eternity. All alone. And look what happens. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one. But the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one, are you ready for the for the for the buzzword? Has no one condemned you? Condemned? Condemnation? She said, No one, Lord, she deserved it. Remember what mercy is, not giving you something that you do deserve? She said, No one is condemning me. I don't have uh, the PG version. But I should have been. That's probably what she's thinking. No one has condemned me, Lord. But I should have been condemned. I should have been stoned. I should have been disciplined for my error. You know what Jesus said? This is the moment that I, I, that I weep. He looked at her, her eyes, eyes that never sinned, locked into, locked into a woman's eyes who just committed adultery. And the reason why she could still look at Jesus without turning away. You know how some people, they're so ashamed that they can't even look at other Christians, right? But here's almighty God who never sinned one moment in his life, and yet she was able to lock eyes with her. You know why? Because when she locked eyes with him, all she saw was mercy. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Then he said, go and sin no more. Look at me. Jesus had every right to uphold it, but he says, you know what? I am not going to condemn you. I'm going to extend mercy to you for the sole purpose of getting you to feel the goodness of God so you could turn. Now, I saw a couple things in this scripture. Number one, I saw mercy did not give her what she deserved. She deserved punishment, but mercy said, no. Oh, come on, man. She deserved it. If that doesn't convict you and make you live right for God, I don't know what will. When you see your own error see, here, let me pause and say this we blame other people for our problems start taking responsibility for your own actions you blame your husband you blame your wife you blame your kids you blame no it is you my friend that needs healing needs deliverance stop you will never be free if you blame everybody else for your problems never you will never freedom requires responsibility she admitted, yes, I did. There's no one to condemn me. Now, listen, so Jesus did not give her what she deserved. Secondly, Jesus completely in one moment delivered her from condemnation. Shame out the window. Now, watch. This is going to be very powerful, which leads up to my next point. But also what I see in this, in this scripture was, yes, Jesus delivered her from condemnation. Yes, the mercy of God did not give her what she deserved. Are you ready for this? The mercy of God did not ignore her sin. Let me pause. The mercy of God did not just ignore her sin for the sake of mercy. You know how I know that? Because after Jesus looked at this person, at this woman who just committed adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. He identified her sin. He says, now, go and sin no more. In other words, what you did was a sin. I'm letting you off. I'm forgiving you. Don't do it again. Ooh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that mercy is not just this cheap little thing that gives us a license to keep living how we're living? No. Mercy is part of his nature. And the purpose for mercy is to make Jesus attractable and righteousness attractable. Hear me. Because mercy and righteousness go hand in hand. You need to hear me. Mercy And righteousness go hand in hand. And mercy is a necessary balance for righteousness. Mercy is the necessary balance for righteousness. You say, Pastor George, what do you mean by that? Okay, I'll I'll tell you. If God is righteous and holy, right? We all know that, right? If God were only holy and righteous and not merciful, it will be impossible for humanity, weak humanity, to approach a holy God. Only a couple of you got that. If God were only holy and he were not merciful and, he, and his nature was not mercy, it will be impossible for weak humanity to approach a blameless holy God without the temperance of mercy. So mercy is the beautiful uh, balance to righteousness. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, this is good stuff I could tell. I don't know if you're just full from Thanksgiving or just listening. <laughs> you guys are locked in. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews chapter 4, look what it says. Are you guys there? Verse 16. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says this. Let us therefore come what? Come on, say it like your mom is about to hit you in your head. You can tell who the disciplinarian is in the house. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy. Mercy. Listen, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. What? Oh, this is so powerful. What gives us the freedom to come boldly into his presence is the nature of mercy. He says, come boldly, not shyfully, not like, are you going to strike me now, Lord? Can Can I pray to you? No. No, because we just sinned and we know the nature of mercy, we can say, God, I know I messed up, but I'm coming to you here again. I'm in your presence again. And you know what? 80% or more of people that just messed up, the number one thing that goes out the window is the devil will accuse you not to go to God's presence. God, you're a hypocrite. Don't go there. You just messed up. God doesn't want to hear you. He's mad at you. So we're. We stop coming to church. We stop getting into fellowship. Why? Because we leave the lie that God is not merciful. Does he like what you did? No. But is he merciful? Yes. You can't erase his mercy. To God. I'm getting more excited than you are. You can't erase it. Listen, it's mercy, the Bible says, endures forever. One of the psalmists actually sang about I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. He was so moved by the mercy of the Lord. He said, I'm actually going to write songs about his mercy because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be where I'm at. But God is merciful. Oh, God. God is merciful. Come boldly to the throne of grace. It reminds me of a story of a a pastor, well, Pastor Carlos and his son that he told me years ago that marked me forever. I'll never forget his story. Back when he was a young minister, Pastor Carlos uh, would would have, you know, sometimes in our earlier days we get so zealous, but in our zealousness we become just a little bit religious, you know what I mean? Like, we just like, (laughs) fire, fire from heaven, kill them all, Lord. You know, I'm like, no, 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 calm down, calm down. No, no, don't, don't do that. And back in the early days, there was a time where uh, 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 Pastor Carlos said the story where he would put up uh, uh, in his room uh, uh, a sign that says, Do not enter when I am praying. <laughs> you know, So this big old sign on the door. Do not enter when Daddy is praying. Do not enter. And you hear the music blowing and the door locked. Well, how many know that children are children? And that's why Jesus said, in order for you to get to heaven, you have to become like one of these little kids. They just... They don't do it on purpose, but they're so pure. They're like, I don't see the rules. I'm just going to come right in. (laughs) And and adults were so sophisticated that we're like, oh, oh God, no, no, I can't can't do this. I can't do that. So here he is. He's telling a story. He's in his room. He's praying. He has a worship, and he closes the door. He had a big old sign, do not enter. Daddy is praying, right? Well, his son was like four years old at that time, five years old. He didn't know. He just knew, watch this. This is good. It's going to help you. He knew the nature of his daddy. He knew that even though he had a bunch of rules, that he knew that he played football with them, he played baseball with them, he loved them, he hugged them, he kissed them. He, he knew all that before he knew all the rules. And so he, he got in there, totally, <laughs> totally ignored the sign, and busted through the door while he was praying, and put his hands on his hips and he says, I want to see a movie right now, Daddy. And, he, and Pastor Collis said that he was about to raise his hand and rebuke him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, do not rebuke your son. In as bold as your son came into your presence without fear is as boldly as I want you to come into my presence without fear. If you didn't have a revelation of mercy, you would be like, oh, I don't know if I could approach God today. My friends, you could approach God every minute of the day. Especially when you just sin. When you just sin, that's when you need him the most. But that's when the enemy tricks you and says, he's, he, he he's throwing you away. He doesn't love you anymore. He's disappointed in your sin, and you're going to open up doors of darkness and addiction in your life, absolutely, if you don't repent. But he doesn't throw you away. Do you realize that the mercy of God will never contradict the truth of God? The mercy of God will never contradict Scripture. So we'll never say, hey, go ahead, go ahead and sell some crack because I'll be merciful to you. Hey, go ahead and be adulterous because it's okay. My mercy. No, no, no. His mercy is a buffer to temporarily relieve the judgment of God. Listen, guys, look at me for a second. Imagine feeling the full wrath of God on our disobedience and our sin without mercy. Chew on that. Imagine feeling the full wrath of what you really deserve. <laughs> No one will be in church, including me. Because he he doesn't look for people that are perfect, only those who are yielding to his spirit. I remember Catherine Kuhlman years ago with her accent. She goes, God is not looking for perfect vessels. He's looking for available vessels. Are you available? He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for, I am willing for you to take out the junk that has been in my life and all my attitudes and all my mess and all my offense and all my bitterness. That's a good time to clap. And all my anger issues. Some of you act like you don't have anger and bitterness in your life. And all, all, in spite of all that, you still use me. You still save me. You still have called me into great things for God. His mercy is a beautiful attribute. And listen to this. This is powerful. When you and I finally receive mercy and doesn't get what we deserve, here's what happens to your heart. Listen to me very carefully. It automatically makes righteousness, I'm talking about righteousness now, desirable. Hear me, this is a mystery when you receive mercy and you know you should have been locked up or you should have had some disease or you should have get, got been losing your mind and mercy didn't give it to you it makes righteous living and holy living attractable in your sight because at first it wasn't but now it is listen I, I remember a story I, have so, I, I, read, I read so I had so many stories on mercy I should write a book I actually did but on all the stories, I didn't. I should, I should write a separate book just on all the stories. This is hilarious. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, listen to me. Some of you have heard this before, but this is going to be healing to a lot of our new congregation. We are, yes, Lord, I hear that. I'm going to say that in a second. Because the nature of God is merciful, we need to extend mercy to others. I just heard that right now in my heart. We need to extend mercy to others in the form of forgiveness. Because if God's been merciful to you, who do you think you are? Who who do you think you are that that you could receive mercy, but you can't give mercy? As a matter of fact, if you want to keep continuing to receive mercy, you better give mercy. You better forgive quick and forgive yourself. A lot of people have... it, they're easy, they They could forgive others, but they can't forgive themselves. You need to start forgiving yourself and be merciful to yourself. Because God is merciful to you. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had this, this scenario when I'm happening right now. And when I was a youth pastor, I want the worship team, if the worship team could come up, if, if someone could get the uh, Edwin and the worship team just play something in the background. I remember when I was a youth pastor, you know, I was a, uh, uh, those of you who knew me in the in the back in the days, I was a drill sergeant. <laughs> I was. I wasn't mean, but I was just, man, when you're dealing with a whole bunch of street kids, you got to be a little rough. <laughs> and so, I mean, I remember Edwin, he's one of my spiritual sons. He, he used to tell me all the time, he said, PG, I thank God that you were rough because we would have ran, ran over every other youth pastor if it wasn't for you. <laughs> I mean, I inherited street kids. I inherited all these kids, right? So there was a time where we were in, a, in our, uh, you know, at remnant of it was, the it was youth ministry, and we had about 150 young people, and it came to my attention that one of my leaders, uh, two of my leaders actually, two of my leaders were living like a secret life. They're living a double life. Now you have to understand: the Bible says, "Too much is given, what? Much is what? Required." All right. So if you're if you're a CEO of your business, you have much more responsibility than the person that just started. It's not prejudice; it's just the facts. So you have more responsibility for someone that has been there longer than someone who's just a rookie. right? So Jesus said, if you're in leadership, much, too much is given, much is required. So I required of my leaders, not perfection, but you need to live right. <laughs> if you're one of my leaders, I want you to know this about me. I'm not going to have people that are part of my key leadership and they're living a double life. Do I love them? Yes. Do I forgive them? Yes. They just can't have responsibilities yet until they get healed. Why? Because then I'm endorsing something that is not supposed to be endorsed. So, I was a youth pastor, and there's there's two precious um, daughters. I found out that they were living a double life behind my back. (laughs) And they were, uh, some of them were partying while they were in my leadership. Can you imagine that? They were doing other things. Just put it that way. They were partying, they were uh, doing relational stuff, and um, alcohol drugs and just getting blasted and they were part of my leadership and they would tell the kids not to do the things that they were doing themselves (laughs) someone said oh no (laughs) so watch 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 this is key this is key i found that out now back in those days i was i didn't know this but it was 2007 And I was getting wrecked by the revelation of mercy because I was a drill sergeant and God was just hitting me like, you know what? I've been merciful to you. You're too hard on them. I'm like, and little by little, you, bam, hit me again with mercy. You should be this and you should be that. But I've still called you into the ministry. And little by little, as I'm getting this revelation of mercy, I'm starting to receive a tender heart for people back in those days. You know, we thank God for growth. We all grow. And I started, and a lot of the people that used to know me, PG, you're getting soft. I'm like, I'm not getting soft. I'm growing. Hello? I'm maturing to be more like Christ. And what you say is soft is me being more merciful. So I am listening to this, and my Cuban blood is boiling, that all this is happening. And I hear the Lord say this. Extend mercy to them. I'm like, no. <laughs> in, my, in my heart, I'm like, mm, I need to teach them a lesson. And God, in my, in my heart, in my study time, in my prayer time, God says, be merciful to them because I've been merciful to you. You deserve worse than what you have. And I just started studying scriptures. Started studying scriptures on mercy. And it started wrecking me. It started healing me so I sat in front of them after service I, before service I said um after service I want to see you they're like huh they were right but they started becoming more white like <laughs> they were scared I said uh I <laughs> I said I need to talk to you about something it's very serious they're like okay after service is over I sat them down I said so I heard that this is happening with you, this is happening with you, and this is happening with you. Is that true? They said, look at me, and go, I said, is that true? And boy, everything in me was like, wanted to. And they said, yes, it's true. I go, and i never forget this. I go, if you were PG, what would you do? And I'll never forget this. We would kick us out. We would take us out of leadership. I don't know, we deserve it, I know. And in my heart, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, I look, and I looked at them, and the Lord says, be merciful to them. Woo, I feel the Holy Spirit. And I said, I'm not going to sit you down from leadership, but you are going to get help. I am going to, to ask you to stay on leadership, but I want you to go through some courses of healing to identify the root of why you did what you did. So I'll see you next week in our leadership team. They go, what? I said, I'm still on on leadership? Yes, I'm going to give you one more chance. Guys, you know what that happened? Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. It made righteousness attractable to them. Do you understand what happened? Tears started coming down their face. They knew that they didn't deserve it. And I did not have to counsel them anymore. I didn't have to whip my, my, my Bible at them. Automatically they left those worldly things and they knew that they were the recipients of mercy and they started living righteously. They started living holy, why? Because mercy triumphed over judgment. Some of you are so bent to judge people, and God's mercy is not that way. God's nature is not that way. Do you know that in the Bible, in the Bible, the Bible says in, in Micah chapter seven that He delights in mercy. He delights. That means He craves mercy. He He, he gets He gets great pleasure in showing mercy. Look at what Look at what Micah seven verse eight says. I'm almost done. Look at, what, look at what Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says this. It says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he, the Lord, delights in mercy. Say that again. Say, the Lord delights in mercy. Come on, say, the Lord delight in mercy there's not i have read the scriptures from beginning to the end there is not one verse in the entire bible that says that god delights in judgment he there is judgment and there is judgment for days to come for those of this that don't repent but he, it never says i i'm gratified by whipping people not one verse you will not find one verse that says i delight in judgment judgment happens because people don't listen But there's not one word he says, I crave for you. You know, I looked up the word delight, guys. And delight means this. A strong feeling of happiness. Something that gives you great desire. A great pleasure of satisfaction. And high degree of satisfaction. Extreme and great feelings of joy. He has great Every time he extends mercy, he loves to show mercy. Why? Because it's his mercy that causes our heart to go from a rock to soft. The rockness, the hardness of our heart is melted by mercy. I'm going to show you this one powerful thing then we're going to close. I feel the Holy Spirit here. How many feel the Lord talking to you? If we were in Israel right now, all of us. If we were in the Old Testament. If we were in Bible times. All of us. Let's just... let's. Let's take a trip 2,000 years back. And if we were in the Old Testament, and if someone were to ask you, what is the most significant nation in the whole world? What would you say as, as, as Jewish people? What would you say? Israel. All right? Ready? You would say, oh, Israel. Okay. If I were to say, in all of Israel, what is the most significant city in all of Israel? You would say, Jerusalem. Right? We all know this. If I were to break it down even further, already you're going to shout, you're going to get set free of this. If I were to say even more further, in the most significant nation, in the most significant city, what's the most significant place in the most significant city? You would say the Temple Mount or Mount Zion. Mount Zion, where they worship. Right? Watch this. If I were to say to you, in the most important nation, the most important city, and the important place, inside the most important place, what's the most important artifact? Woo! In the that's right, the ark of the covenant. Now watch this. Now you can't get any more significant, more holier, more important than the Ark of the Covenant, where God's, God's presence, God's laws were. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, which a priest had to go only once a year to make atonement for, for us, it was so holy back then. Inside the Ark, you know what it was? the law of Moses it was the law the written law but you know what was triumphing over right over the law was the mercy seat the mercy seat you couldn't get any any more important when they closed the deal and they said here's the law the law is important but there's coming a greater reality and over the law doesn't mean we transgress the law but over the law is the mercy seat. You know what the mercy seat was used for? For a priest to offer sacrifices in those times because Jesus was not, uh, had not died yet for our sins. So when you boil it down to the very nature of God and who he is from the most significant nation in the world the most significant city in the world the most significant place in the world the most significant artifact that all boils down to mercy. mercy is crying out to you this morning mercy is crying out to you this morning to you to receive and get healing from condemnation from shame from bitterness last scripture just put it up real quick second corinthians 4 verse 1 2nd corinthians 4 verse 1 the greatest attribute of jesus mercy jesus mercy is his ability to set us free from shame Guilt, condemnation, self-hatred. Many of you right now are battling through shame. Guilt from your past or your present or something, what, what, what you can't get over, your certain nature. Look at what Paul the Apostle said. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received what? Come on, shout at me. We received what? We do not lose heart. Look at the very next verse. But because we have renounced the hidden things of what? Do you, I never saw that before because of the revelation of mercy it automatically renounced shame so revelation of mercy, the first revelation of mercy renounces shame I have news for every one of you here mercy is crying out your name stop beating yourself up over your head over things that you've done in your past the things that have happened right now and let mercy heal you but also extend mercy to others why? because mercy never ends. Mercy endures forever. And his mercy is crying out to say, I want to deliver you today from condemnation, from shame of how you feel about yourself. And Jesus is looking at your eyes and saying, neither do I condemn you. Mercy is saying, I'm going to give you time to get right for God because it's beautiful. I want everyone to stand up right now. Come on. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.